take our Bible, if you have your copy there with you, and I want you to turn with me once more to the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel. I want to return to this passage of Scripture. I've been in Daniel chapter 10 for some time now, and I've been very much gripped by the truth uh, to be discovered in these verses. You know, as you're turning there, um, I think I would be safe in saying that all of us realize that we're living in a time where conflict really seems to have escalated. And wouldn't you agree with that statement? Um, I mentioned just a few moments ago the conflict in Southeast Asia, Myanmar, Burma. Uh, there's conflict in our own country. There's conflict among the nations, conflict among families and, and uh, churches. Uh, we just seem to be in a time where conflict has really been on the rise. Now, maybe you've wrestled over the subject of conflict in your world, uh, and maybe you've wondered, why is it that it just seems like there just seems to be so much struggle? I think everyone realizes that something is broken as far as our world is concerned, and nearly everyone is looking for somebody that they can blame as far as their problems in life go. And ultimately, there's no shortage of answers when it comes to offering an explanation for the conflict and the vitriol, the difficulty of our times. You know, in Matthew 24, Jesus made a statement about the last days, and and he said that in the last days, many will fall away, they will betray one another, they will hate one another, False prophets will arise and deceive many, lead many astray. And then he says this. He says, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. As lawlessness is on the rise, at the same time, the love of many will grow cold. As people get further and further away from God's design and God's law and God's truth, There's an increased absence of genuine love in their hearts for their fellow man. Now, isn't that just sort of an indictment of where we are in our times? Where, as a nation, we've been bent on going our own way apart from God. There's been a spirit of lawlessness that swept over our land. And is it any wonder that the love of many has grown cold? Well, Jesus said it would be this way. Well, if you want to make sense of the struggle... As far as conflict in the world is concerned, then I'm telling you, you'll be encouraged by what you read about it all in this 10th chapter of the book of Daniel. Uh, It's a passage that begins the final and longest prophetic section uh, in the book. It begins with the vision here that Daniel has in chapter 10, and it ends with the prophecy that carries us all the way through the close of chapter 12. And so as chapter 10 begins, we read that Daniel has been made aware of a great conflict in his day. And yet he discovers that what was happening on the ground was tied to what was happening in the air. Conflict that manifested itself visibly was ultimately being manipulated invisibly. Uh, Daniel's eyes are opened up in this passage to see what's typically unseen. And, And really the curtain that separates the material world from the spiritual world, uh, that curtain is momentarily pulled back and the resulting vision shows us how the things which are seen 
ultimately are influenced by things which are unseen. And so Daniel 10 is a passage that shows us how the conflicts on earth reflect conflicts in the heavens. And folks, it's going to continue to be this way until the time of the end. And in fact, things are going to incrementally get worse. Spiritual warfare and conflict is going to be on the rise until Christ comes again. And when he does, he's going to ultimately triumph over all and establish his kingdom upon the earth, and that kingdom will be without end. And aren't you grateful for that? Well, Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, let's read this passage of Scripture once more. The Bible says, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now listen to this. Pay close attention to what this angelic messenger is saying to Daniel here. From the very first day that Daniel humbled himself and prayed, his words had been heard. And yet, we're going to learn there in verse 13 that there's, there's a 21-day delay as far as Daniel's prayer is concerned. And the delay was not a denial it was simply a delay. And we're going to discover that the reason that there was a delay as far as an answer to Daniel's prayer is concerned is because of an angelic conflict that was being waged in the heavenly realms. Notice verse 13, this angelic being says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me 
For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what's inscribed in the book of truth. And there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. I want to speak from this subject this morning, making sense of the struggle. If you really want to be able to make sense as far as conflict in life is concerned, why it is that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there just seems to be conflict in your life. And just when it seems like you're making uh, strides as far as your walk with God is concerned, It seems like you take a step forward and you may feel like you take two or three steps back. If you've ever been there, you've experienced conflict spiritually, then listen, you know that the ultimate source behind that is is sort of being pointed out here in Daniel chapter 10. There is indeed an evil enemy who wages war against our souls. And somehow, as the people of God, our lives are sort of caught in the crosshairs as there's an angelic conflict that is being waged between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And so Daniel is made aware of this conflict that involves God's people, and he discovers that the source behind this conflict involves an evil spiritual entity. You know, throughout the history of the world, those who love and worship the God of the Bible, and in particular have faith in his Son, Uh, they've been subjected to the most extreme forms of persecution. You ever wondered why that is? There just seems to have been so much animosity leveled toward the Jewish people throughout history, an animosity that's been leveled toward the church in the last 20 centuries or so. Why is that? Well, there's a Dutch theologian. His name was uh, Abraham Kuyper, but he is famous for a quote, and this quote, listen to this, he sort of puts his finger on the issue. He says, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The reason that there is conflict in the world, and and, and it's stirred up by spiritual and unseen forces that are in rebellion to God, it's because of this very truth, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And folks, that's something that is opposed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
the world uh, in the sense of this fallen world system that Satan is behind. The flesh, uh, that is the fallen part of our humanity, the sin nature. Uh, And then, of course, the devil, Satan himself, who's the ringleader of the opposition, who has led a rebellion against God in ages long past, who's a defeated enemy, but he knows that his time is indeed very, very short. And he's going to continue to harass the people of God and to try to thwart the plan and the purposes of God until Jesus Christ comes again. And so in our, unseen, or our fallen world, there are unseen forces at work that oppose the kingdom of God and seek to keep humanity shackled in sin. And the reason that there's conflict in the world is because there's a conflict that exists between kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And folks, this conflict is announced in the very first Uh, chapters in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, when God pronounces the curse upon the serpent. Uh, God says that the seed of the woman uh, would crush the head of the serpent, the seed of the serpent, and there would be enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. Now, ultimately, that points to Jesus Christ and the victory that he achieved at the cross over uh, Satan and over hell and over death. But it's also true that, listen, the serpent of old absolutely despises humanity that's been made in the image of God and seeks to destroy humanity. That's why Jesus said that uh, the devil is a murderer. He's a liar. He's a murderer from the beginning going all the way back to his intentions there in the Garden of Eden. Now, ultimately, this conflict uh, reached its climactic moment when Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And on the third day, when he arose from the dead in victory and power, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says that he's made a spectacle over and has triumphed over these rulers and principalities and demonic entities through his death and resurrection. And let me tell you why that's important, because it means that we as the people of God are not striving for victory, but rather victory has already been won by Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. Which means now you and I, as those who are in Jesus Christ, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. Now, do you feel like you're more than a conqueror when it comes to conflict in your life right now? Do you feel like you're more than an overcomer through Jesus? Listen, regardless of how you feel, the truth remains. We're on the winning side if you are in Jesus Christ. Satan and the forces of hell have been defeated, and yet there still are enemy holdouts, and it will continue to be this way until King Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom upon the earth. So making sense of the struggle, I wanna show you at least three ways, uh, really three things that will help you make sense of the struggle as far as spiritual conflict is concerned in your life. Number one, if you wanna make sense of the struggle, then you'll value prayer. Understand something about the importance of prayer. 
And that's really what we see illustrated here in these first several verses in Daniel chapter 10. Now, you remember Daniel, he's been in Babylon all of these years. He's an old man by the time we get to chapter 10, and he has been consistently serving God. Uh, There's been regime changes, kings have come and gone, empires have come and gone, and something can be said about Daniel's consistency through it all. Here's a man who's walked with God. Here's a man who's in his mid to upper 80s. He's still praying. He's still standing. He's still serving. The world around him had changed, but Daniel remains consistent. And there's a lot that can be said about his life uh, in these verses. Now, the Bible tells us here in chapter 10 that it's the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that a particular word was revealed to Daniel, and that word involved a conflict. And the conflict really concerned the people of God. Now you remember that it was Cyrus, the Persian king, who led the Persian empire to overthrow the Babylonian empire. And uh, one of the first official things that King Cyrus did was to allow the Jews, the captives, to return to their native homeland. And so that began in his first year. The Jews were allowed to return home. In fact, the first chapter of Ezra gives us the background to all of this. Uh, King Cyrus issued a decree allowing the Jews to rebuild their temple. And so you can imagine that Daniel saw all this happen, and there's a joy in his heart as he begins to see that first wave of Jewish exiles return home. This was the very thing that he had been praying for way back in chapter 9. And yet, the Bible tells us that for some reason, Daniel is a man in mourning. He's a man who's praying. He's a man who's who's fasting. Uh, he's, He's greatly burdened over something. Now, God's people had been allowed to return home, um... So you would think that he would be celebrating instead of mourning, but that's not the case. Well, whenever you read Ezra and you get into chapter 2 of Ezra, you'll discover that only 42,000 of those Jewish exiles actually began making the trip back home compared to the several hundred thousand of Jews that were carried off into Babylonian captivity. So here is their opportunity to go home, but listen, only a remnant of the people return home. Only a remnant. And by the way, when that remnant gets back in the land... Even though Cyrus had allowed them to rebuild their temple, whenever they began laying the foundations for it, did you know that they experienced opposition from the people who were natives who were there in the land, had moved into the land in their absence? So the thrill and the emotion and the euphoria of them finally being able to go home, all of that began to wane by the third year of King Cyrus. And so whenever the Bible mentions the third year of Cyrus, the, listen, that would have been a depressing year for the people of God as reality had begun to set in. Rebuilding and returning home, listen, it would be no easy road. And by the way, I think there's a message and a, and, a, and a major application there for us coming out of a year dealing with a pandemic when so many within the church have been scattered to the four winds, and it seems like at this point there's only a remnant of the people who've begun to make their way back. And if we're not careful, that can be something that really discourages us in our faith. And in fact, we can allow it to so bother us 
that we begin pointing fingers of blame. Well, here's the real reason why the struggle is the way that it is. When in reality, listen folks, what we need to do is look beyond that which is seen and look to that invisible realm because that's where the conflict is really being waged against the people of God. That's the very thing that Daniel is going to be told here concerning his conflict. So he's a man who's mourning simply because things hadn't turned out the way that maybe he had anticipated they would turn out. He's hearing about opposition that those uh, returned exiles were experiencing in the land, and he's a man who's in mourning. But listen, from that experience, uh, listen, I'm telling you, there's going to be uh, an encounter that Daniel has with the majesty of Almighty God. Because we're told, specifically, he tells us that it's on the 24th day of the first month. He's by the Tigris River. When he lifts up his eyes, and, and, and suddenly there's this man who's clothed in linen. And then all of the descriptive terms that are mentioned there, beginning in verse five, he's wearing a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was gleaming, his face was like lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and his legs, this was like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words, the best way Daniel could describe it was that it sounded like a mighty multitude. Now I don't wanna to spend too much time here because we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but I don't believe that this is merely an angel that's appeared at this point. I believe that this is a vision of the glorified Son of Man himself. A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And the description that Daniel gives of this man in linen, it's, it's parallel to an encounter that the Apostle John has uh, many centuries later on the Isle of Patmos, Revelation chapter one. And you can read that, and you can compare those two passages, and you can see that John, his description of the Lord Jesus and all of his glory is nearly identical to that which Daniel is describing here in chapter 10. And it's interesting that both men were praying when these visions were given. And as they prayed, the veil that separated the visible from the invisible was temporarily removed. And both John and Daniel here in this text is able to see the one that he'd been speaking to in prayer. And I like what Ray Steadman says about this. He says that that person didn't suddenly appear out of nowhere, but he had been there all the time, but had been invisible. And through prayer, the veil that cloaked him from Daniel's eyes was pierced. But suddenly Daniel's eyes are opened and he saw the invisible world of spiritual beings all around him and suddenly he beheld the one whose eyes were like flaming torches and whose face shone like the sun in all of its strength. Now let me tell you something. If for one second you get depressed, you get discouraged, and you feel like you're weighed down by the stress of all of the conflict and the junk that you're dealing with in your life as a believer, Keep in mind that if for one split second your eyes were able to see the one who stands on your behalf, it would make every ounce of your struggle well worth it. That's a good word right there. No matter the stuff that we, listen, if for one split second we were able to see the one who is standing beside us, who's with us in the thick of it all, our hearts would be greatly encouraged. 
And folks, one of these days, that's exactly what we're going to see whenever our faith will be made sight. And we look upon the one who took the nails for us and we look upon the one who suffered and died and bled for us and we look upon Christ in all of his splendor and majesty. One of these days, you're going to see that. So what's Daniel's reaction? Well, he's, he's brought to ruin. The idea is, he, he says that his appearance was changed. Uh, he falls upon his face in abject terror. It's the same reaction that anybody else had in Scripture that had an encounter with the glory of God. And the idea is, when God's presence shows up in power like this, there's not a shred of human pride that's left behind in its wake. And so Daniel is brought to this place of complete submission before this man in linen. And uh, verse 9 says, when he heard the sound of his words, he fell on his face in deep sleep with his face to the ground. The idea is he fell into, into a trance of sorts. So again, all of this is, is illustrating for us the importance of prayer. Keep in mind, Daniel has this, this uh, encounter following that three-week time frame in which he had been praying and fasting. And folks, listen, I'm not saying you'll have an experience like Daniel had in this passage, but if you take seriously prayer in your life and fasting, walking with God, no matter how you feel, listen, I'm telling you, that's what will sustain, will sustain your life through the difficult seasons. A vision of God in his glory. That's what will sustain his church in tough times. So the importance of prayer. Now, notice the second thing here. If we're to make sense of the struggle, we need to recognize the source of conflict. The importance of prayer, this gives way to the source of conflict. And you'll notice there in verse 10, Daniel says that a hand touched him and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now, I have been sent to you. And then he's going to tell Daniel that he's been sent to Daniel because of Daniel's words or because of his praying. So Daniel learns that his prayer life literally moved heaven and earth. It really reminds me of a prayer meeting that we read about that the early church had, Acts chapter 12, uh, where the church got together to pray for Peter's release when Peter had been locked up in prison. And the Bible says that earnest prayer was made on behalf of Peter, made to God by the church. And as the church was praying, there was an angel of God who was sent into the prison house where Peter was. And miraculously, the angel led Peter out of the prison house and, and, and brought Peter all the way to the gathered assembly of the church. The church was still praying. <laughs> and while they were praying for Peter, Peter shows up. Isn't that just a wonderful thing? What if the answer to your prayer comes before you even quit praying? There was a Puritan pastor who said about this. He said, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel, Thomas Watson. I love that. Yeah, the angel went to work and brought Peter out of the prison house, but listen, it was prayer that fetched the angel. Lest we forget, God has ordained that his purposes be accomplished, but so much of what he does, he does in response to the prayer lives of his servants. 
And people say, does prayer really accomplish anything? Does prayer change things? Listen, God changes things. And God has ordained that prayer be the means by which his mission be advanced in the world. Now, there are a lot of Bible scholars who see a different person speaking to Daniel in verse 11 rather than the man in linen who, whom I've identified as being a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. And in fact, there's evidence once you get into chapter 12 that there's more than one angelic being who's here with Daniel at this moment in his life. By the time you get to the end of chapter 12, you learn that there are at least two others who were there with this man in linen. Does that make sense? We've seen that happen before. We've seen that in the book of Genesis when the Lord makes that visit to the tent of Abram, Abraham, uh, before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord is accompanied by two others. And the two angels go on to Sodom. So this very well could be that this is the pre-incarnate Christ and two of his angelic messengers who were there, and they communicate with Daniel. But Daniel's prayer had been heard the very moment he began to pray, but the answer is three weeks in getting to him. And the reason is there's an unseen conflict being waged among these heavenly beings. And the angel says to Daniel in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, who's later associated as being the archangel, Michael, one of the chief princes, and by the way, often Michael, whenever he's mentioned in scripture, is always associated as being uh, the angelic archangel who ministers on behalf of the nation of Israel. But Michael came to help me, and I was left there with the kings of Persia. But I've come to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, Daniel's been burdened by all that he's heard as far as the plight of God's people back in Jerusalem. But now the angel's going to give him a prophecy concerning the future, and really all of chapter 11 uh, consists of this prophecy and all of the hardships that God's people were going to face in the coming years. In other words, listen, yeah, God's people are back in the land. There's a fraction of the people, a remnant of the people who are back in the land, but things are going to become extremely difficult. But the message that Daniel hears is that God is sovereign over it all. And that no matter how bad things appear uh, as far as that which is seen, God is in perfect control of it and he's going to accomplish his own purposes. <laughs> that's, that's encouraging to our hearts, isn't it, folks? No matter how hard things get, no matter how tough things get for the church and the world, no matter how much persecution is stirred up against the people of God and the world, and no matter how far behind it seems like we are, listen, the kingdom agenda of God is advancing moment by moment by moment, and God is advancing history to that one final moment when the eastern sky is going to split wide open and Christ is going to come again. And that's what we have to look forward to. But in these verses, there's, there's an often overlooked truth. And that truth is simply this. There is a spiritual organization behind the powers that be. 
The conflict that rages against God and God's people originates in an unseen heavenly realm. Ultimately, that conflict is not political. Yet within the governments of this world, behind the powers that be, there are dark and evil forces at work. That reference to the prince of Persia there mentioned in verse 13. This is not the leader of Persia, not the king of Persia, not the man himself, but the prince that's referred to there is the angelic principality. The evil spiritual entity, the spirit of Persia. The unseen power behind the powers that be. And again, this is what the Apostle Paul is describing in the sixth chapter of Ephesians when he says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness, against rulers, against authorities, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Behind the fallen governments of man, there are unseen, evil, angelic forces at work. And that's not just true of Persia. Uh, In fact, the prince of Greece that's mentioned there in verse 20, this is another angelic, evil entity behind the empire of Greece that's going to arise. And it's not just true of Persia, it was not just true of Greece, but let me tell you something. It could also be said for what's happening in the United States, that there is an evil at work behind the scenes in our country, and that Satan, who's the father of lies, and his demons who... who, um, are behind so much of those lies and false ideologies to keep people enslaved to sin and blinded to the truth. So much of the conflict and the opposition and the division that's playing itself out along political lines and racial lines in our day. Listen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but behind it all, there is an unseen evil afoot. And that's what the people of God have got to keep in mind. And this is why prayer is so very important, folks. Because you don't combat this evil simply through political means or simply through a Twitter argument or a Facebook post. But this evil is is, is combated when we get down on our knees and we cry out to the God of heaven and we do the same thing that Daniel has been doing in this passage. And God's given his people some tools and some weapons for this conflict. So the importance of prayer, the source of conflict, notice the third thing, notice the need for strength. For to make sense of the struggle, we need to recognize our own need for strength, don't we? It's amazing to me how many times that Daniel mentions that he's without strength here in this passage. There's no pride in himself. There's no trust in his, his, his own physical strength here. He's not trusting his own mind and his own thought processes and all of that, but rather he recognizes that he needs some spiritual strength for what he's hearing and what he's up against. In verse 16, he says, again, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me. I retain no strength. He says the same thing in verse 17. No strength remains in me. 
But look at verse 18. He says, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. In verse 19, he said, man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Daniel says, as he spoke, I was strengthened. So Daniel is the recipient here of the strengthening touch of God. Through these angelic beings that come to minister to him in his time of need. Again, that's why the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Realize that for this conflict, you've got to have spiritual strength. Your own strength and your own wisdom and your own ingenuity, that's not enough as far as the struggles of life are concerned. You need to be strong in the Lord as a believer. Be strengthened by the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And let me tell you something, that's a reservoir of power that never runs dry. The power of his might. That's an endless supply of strength and uh, power that is yours as a believer. How is that power accessed? It's accessed when you humble yourself, when you pray, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 11 of that passage, put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. What is that armor? Well, listen to this. Here's the armor. Stand, therefore, having put on the belt of truth. What does the belt do? It just kind of holds everything in place, doesn't it? What is going to keep your life from falling to pieces? Listen, it's truth. It's the truth of God that will keep it all together. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness that guards uh, those, those sensitive organs in your body, your heart the righteousness of God. Uh, Put the gospel, the shoes of the gospel on your feet. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith by which you extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And then take the helmet of salvation, put it on your head that guards your thought life, your mind. Take the sword of the spirit in your hand, that's the word of God. And then pray at all times in the spirit. It's interesting, there isn't anything for your back. Have you ever thought about that? When you think about the armor of God, there's, no, there's nothing to protect your back. The reason is you're not in retreat. You're not running from the enemy. You're standing your ground and you're facing the enemy in the power of God, in the strength of God. Let me tell you something. A lot of times... The attack that comes from behind comes from friendly fire. Let me tell you, the church of our day is working overtime against itself where we're shooting each other in the back and we're taking on unnecessary friendly fire. When the enemy is not, it's not the church. We're not at odds with our brother or our sister. The enemy is the devil. And we're to stand arm in arm with one another as we advance in the power of Christ against the evil one. Mm. So someone says, well, pastor, do you really believe that, that an angel is dispatched to Daniel at his time of need? Do you think the same thing happens in our day? Do you think that God does that? Let me tell you, I believe that with all of my heart. Who knows the number of times 
some angelic presence has been sent to you as a believer from the presence of God at a time when you needed it the most but you didn't see it and you didn't know it at the time. The writer of Hebrews says that angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. That's us. He says in chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I'll never forget, I've told this story before on a Wednesday night, but when I was a senior in high school, I had a job, had a pretty good job working in a machine shop. And I would go in to work early in the morning and uh, put in a few hours. I had uh, sort of a work release. The first couple of hours of the school day would go to school a bit late, leave a little bit early, go back to work, and I would work to the evening. And for a senior in high school, I was making pretty good money. God had called me to preach. You know, my mom and my dad had separated, and, and, and it was a very difficult period of time in the life of our family. And after graduating high school, I had the opportunity to really make some better money working for that particular machine shop where I was working, and I was struggling with the decision, well, do I go on to Bible college or not? Do I pursue what I believe to be the call of God on my life, or do I not? I was really wrestling. It was a conflict. Well, I had gone down to um, a shopping center, ran into a grocery store to get something. I was coming out on my way to my car. And there was an older gentleman who came up to me in the parking lot and asked if I would give him a ride just down the next exit. It was only about a mile or so down the interstate to the next exit. And he wanted me to drop him off there. Well, I kind of hesitated, but then I thought, well, this may be a really good opportunity to share the gospel with someone who needs to hear the good news. And, and so I said, yeah, sure, jump on in my car. I was driving a little 1989 Honda Accord. Headlights were held together to the front with duct tape. I kid you not. Man gets in my vehicle. We, we set out, you know, we're going down the, the interstate, just a brief stretch coming onto the interstate. And uh, he started asking me questions before I could ask him questions. He asked me, what do you do? You know, you're a young man, what do you do? And I told him, well, sir, I, you know, I, I believe that God's called me to preach. And, and, I, and I mentioned to him, I said, I'm wrestling about going to Bible college or not. Didn't say anything beyond that because by the time I'd said that, I'd come off the interstate and there was a shell station there, pulled into the parking lot to let him out. He opened the door, but before he got out, he looked at me and here's what he said. He called me by name. He said, Brandon, you're going to enjoy living in Hendersonville. That's all he said, closed the door, and went on. I drove off, but as I drove off, I immediately felt a cold chill go up and down my spine, number one, because I didn't tell him my name. And number two, I didn't tell him where I was thinking about going to Bible college. It was at Fruitland, which was in Hendersonville. But I can remember that experience so vividly. And I'm not going to go so far as to say that it was an angel, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to say that it wasn't either. I believe what the Bible says. And don't you? And folks, if we believe that, then listen, why are we going to go through life 
fearful, full of anxiety, unnecessarily, when we're on the winning side. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? If you feel like you're in the midst of conflict right now in your life, let me just encourage you. Oh, let me encourage you with this wonderful truth that in Jesus Christ, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Yes, the enemy is real. And yes, that enemy is stronger than you are. But let me tell you something, that enemy is not omniscient. That enemy is not omnipresent. And that enemy is not omnipotent. But the one you call Father is. And through the finished work of Jesus Christ, all of heaven's resources are now yours and at your disposal. You say, Pastor, I don't feel like that this morning. Listen, we walk by faith, not by feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight. Reckon these things to be true in your heart. As a believer, reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ your Lord. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, then listen, I've got good news for you. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. You can be empowered. But you've got to turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for you, who rose again from the dead. Confess him as your Savior and as your Lord. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you're here in the room, we're going to sing in just a moment. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, we'd encourage you to come. I'll be here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. Those of you who are watching online, you can be in touch with us via email or call our church office. You say, I want to know how to become a Christian. Listen, we'd love nothing more than to spend time with you this week. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's hard for us at times to make sense of the struggle of life, but Lord, may we value prayer. May we realize the source of the conflict. But Lord, may we realize just the depth of our need as far as your strength is concerned. We need your strength and your power. We can't make it one day, Lord, apart from you and your sustaining grace. And how we love you, Lord, as your children. Bring us through these times of difficulty into what you have prepared for us. And we'll trust you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.